again. Thank you, worship team. It's great to be singing together again. Glad to have Stephen back. And uh, thank you, Charlie. If you would, turn to James chapter 2 this morning. As Dan prayed, uh, things are really unusual and challenging in our country right now. Even though things are changing, it almost seems like on a weekly basis in various ways, one thing that never changes is obviously God himself. And by extension, God's word never changes either. The truth never changes. And so I'm thankful that we have a fixed point of reference that we can hold on to that helps us know which way is up when sometimes it seems like everything is upside down. And so I, I want to continue talking about what's going on in our country. We've talked a couple Sundays about that. We've talked about biblical justice in light of Leviticus 19, which tells us that biblical justice is about loving your neighbor as yourself. Last Sunday we talked about God our Father because it was Father's Day, but it's, it was important because we need to remember that this is our Father's world, and even though things seem to be out of control, he is very much in control of what is going on. I want to talk a couple more Sundays about the bigger picture of what's going on in our country and about how we need to respond as Christians. Uh, But today I want to look at James chapter 2 and focus on what is at least the um, set set forth as the issue about which everything is revolving right now, which is the issue of race. Now, the Bible doesn't talk about racism per se. It talks about what we'll see in this passage, which is partiality, which means treating people specially because of some characteristic they have, some external characteristic, whether it's skin color or, in this case, clothing or other things. So let me read for us verses 1 through 13 of James chapter 2, and we'll pray that God helps us to see how it applies in light of all that's going on. In James 2, verse 1, it says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Other versions say um, partiality. Do not show partiality. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, You sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act 
as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what should we think about the racial conflict in our country? I want to make three introductory statements that I think are important. One is racism is a real issue in our country. It is a real issue. And so those who are saying there's an issue of racism, um, yes, we can affirm that as Christians, that there is that problem in our country in various ways. I grew up in the South. My dad was from Mississippi, from the very state that is arguing over the Confederate flag right now. I remember uh, when I was in the second grade, I think it was, in elementary school, integration happening, going from segregation to integration. One of the guys that I graduated with in high school, his dad was the imperial wizard of the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. I know what racism is from the South. Uh, we, we have a long history of that kind of thing. When I became a pastor, I went to a small little church in um, northern, north central Louisiana. It's a church that not long before I came, as I understand it, there was a sign at the bridge that you would cross to go down and, and get to the church, get to the area where I pastored. And on that sign it said, Essentially, I'm not sure exactly how they put it, but essentially it said, no blacks pass this bridge after dark. I preached a sermon one Sunday on racism. A couple got up and walked out in the middle of the sermon. I don't know how many other people wanted to. Um, Racism is a real thing. There's no doubt about it, but it's not just between whites and blacks. It goes both ways. It goes uh, between all kinds of races. Racism is an issue. But in our country, the issue of racism is not necessarily the kind of issue that some people want to make it out to be. Um, It's very important when we're trying to heal someone to acknowledge that there is a problem, but also to make sure we have the right diagnosis for the problem. And I think uh, in our country, a lot of people are misdiagnosing it for various reasons. Those who would say, and I've heard it said, There's no difference today uh, with regard to the racism that we see today and the racism of the past. I don't believe that's true. If you go back to 1850, the racism then in our country before the Civil War and before the Emancipation Proclamation was different than the racism that's going on today. If you go back to 1950, before the Civil Rights Act and the ending of the Jim Crow laws, the racism then is different than the racism today. And so is there racism? Yes, but it's not exactly the same thing. Now, as Christians, we know it all comes from the same sinful heart. So in that sense, there's that same sinful heart problem, but in terms of how it's manifesting, it's manifesting itself differently. And that's why it's so hard for us to have any dialogue because we tend to go between one ditch or the other. One ditch that says there's no racism in the U.S., And every white person is a racist. Um, There are no racist police officers, and every police officer is a racist. We tend to go between those two ditches, oftentimes, at least it feels like it, a lot of times on social media. Those are the only two positions. 
As Christians, we know that the solution to racism is found in the Bible. It diagnoses the problem for us, and it tells us what the true solution is. And so there are three things that I want to highlight about racism. And again, the Bible defines racism in terms of partiality. It's a heart problem in which we show partiality to people of a particular skin color, either treating them differently uh, in a good way or mistreating them because of their skin color. Or it can be, in this case, uh, clothing or poverty or richness or whatever it may be. It can be all kinds of things. But partiality is a serious sin based on what James says here. Partiality makes unbiblical distinctions, and partiality fosters selective love. And so those three things I want to briefly touch on this morning as we think about this together. If you look again at verse 1, James begins by saying, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism, or do not show partiality, as it says in the ESV. Now, the word for personal favoritism or partiality literally means do not take hold of a person's face. That's the idea. Do not or do not receive a person's face, meaning you're looking at outward externals and you're relating to them on the basis of outward externals. Um, someone has said originally this word referred to raising someone's face or elevating the person, but it came to refer to exalting someone strictly on a superficial external basis, such as appearance, race, wealth, rank, or social status. There was a, a bank uh, one time that was trying to hire someone for a particular uh, position. Uh, they asked for a recommendation from a Boston investment house. This Boston investment house sent them back uh, a long list of this person's pedigree, saying that his father was a Cabot, his mother was a Lowell. Um, he had a happy bin blend further back of uh, other families like Peabody's and uh, various Um, families that were Boston's first families. The bank wrote back and said, you know, that information is totally inadequate. Uh, We're not contemplating using the young man for breeding purposes, just for work. So basically saying, you're giving me all these qualifications, telling me I should favor him on the basis of these external qualifications. But that's not appropriate. We want someone who's truly qualified. And so the idea of favoritism pervades our society in all kinds of ways. And so there's no doubt there's an issue many, many times with favoritism. Um, Martin Luther King famously said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content, content of their character, which we as Christians should fully agree with that kind of statement. The picture that's being painted here in verse 1 is, he's saying, don't hold your faith in Jesus, and at the same time, hold someone else's face in a partial, personal favoritism way. Don't, Don't hold partiality and faith in the same grip in both your hands. Uh, I mentioned the KKK earlier. There was a, a track that was printed in 1925 in Louisiana. Uh, just a portion of it says this. It's kind of a propaganda track. Patriotism and Christianity are preeminently the moving principles of the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. 
The flag, the Constitution, and the Holy Bible are the keystone of Klan principles. The Klan stands for law and order, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and freedom of conscience. For the free public school, separation of church and state, white supremacy, and Protestant Christianity. White supremacy, Protestant Christianity. The Knights of the Ku Klux Klan has no fight to make upon the Negro. He is recognized as an inferior race, and Klansmen are sworn to protect him, his rights and property, and assist him in the elevation of his moral and spiritual being, and in the preservation of the purity of his race. You could pick that apart and understand what they really mean by that. The, the last sentence in this tract says, Jesus Christ is the Klansman's criterion of character, and to him we look for light, love, and life. James would say that's holding Christianity and partiality in your hands and that is an abomination to God. And we should see it that way. And the reason why it's an an abomination to God because it denies the gospel. Why does it deny the gospel? It denies the gospel in the sense of what happened between uh, Peter and uh, Paul in Galatians chapter 2. Um, the big conflict racially in the New Testament was between Gentiles and Jews. That was the big conflict then. And if you read Galatians chapter 2, you find out that for a particular reason, Peter stopped eating with the Gentile Christians and only ate with the Jewish Christians. And when Paul heard about it, he uh, challenged him publicly and said, what you're doing is not right. And he said he challenged Peter because they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. He was showing partiality to the Jewish Christians. He was not eating with the Gentile Christians. And Paul says that's a gospel issue. Why is it a gospel issue? Why would James say it's a gospel issue? Because it contradicts the fact that we are not accepted by God on the basis of anything in us. We're accepted by grace and grace alone. God doesn't look at us and look at our face and say, what a wonderful person you are, what a great white person you are, or black person you are, or whatever it might be. He doesn't welcome us on the basis of that. In fact, in Acts 10.34, we can see where Peter, before Galatians chapter 2, actually affirms God's impartiality with regard to receiving sinners And that's exactly the issue that Paul sees in Peter's failure to apply it in that circumstance. In Acts 10.34, it says, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. This is when he went to Cornelius' house, preached the gospel, and they were saved. Um, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right, is welcome to him. There are other passages that talk about the fact that God is not partial, therefore he's going to judge you rightly. These passages talk about the fact that you can expect that if you go to God for mercy, and you trust in Jesus, that because God is not partial, he will welcome you. Whether you're black, red, green, purple, or whatever it might be. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. Partiality undermines the idea that everyone is welcome at the cross. And therefore, Paul um, challenged Peter publicly and said, your partiality is abominable 
in the eyes of God. And that's what James is arguing here as well. And so partiality is a serious sin because it undermines the gospel and God gave his son for all. Um, but it also contradicts God's character because he says he's not partial, just like I just read. Partiality is built on lies and God is a God of truth. And partiality hinders love and God is love. So for all those reasons, God hates partiality and we should hate it as well. In whatever way we actually see it manifested. The second point is that partiality makes unbiblical distinctions in verses 2 through 7. I won't read those again, but look, if you will, especially at verse 4. He tells the story of, you know, if two men come in to church, these could be members or these could be visitors. And one man is dressed to the hilt. He's got ring a ring on. He's wearing his Gucci robe, and he looks really sharp. The other man is dirty, shabby. Maybe he just got out from under a bridge somewhere and decided to come to church. And he says, if you honor the rich man and say, hey, you come sit up front and you say to the poor man, you go sit on the floor back there in that open spot. He says, don't you see how evil that really is? He says in verse four, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? It's interesting, um, Mahatma Gandhi who is considered the father of modern India, I guess by many people. Uh, um, at one point in his life, he read uh, all kinds of things with regard to religion and seemed to have an interest in trying to find the truth in some way, shape, or form. And evidently he spent some time reading the Gospels. And he actually thought that maybe Christianity had an answer to the caste system, which he was very concerned about in India. So he decided to go to church. And when he got to church, the usher refused to seat him and refused to let him come in. And he left the church and he gave up on the possibility of Christianity. And there's a famous quote by Ghani that goes something along these lines. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And many people believe it is traced back to that experience when they saw him, they saw who he was, what they thought he was, and they rejected him. He was not welcome in their church. The idea of making distinctions is the idea of separating into groups. Okay, you've got this group and this group and this group, and we treat this group one way, and we treat this group another way, and we treat this group another way. And the interesting thing about what's going on in our country, and we'll talk more about this next time, is that that is exactly how politics work in our country. It's based on groupings. It's based on, quote, identities. It's based on appealing to certain constituents and playing them against each other. And so this distinction uh, James is talking about is something that he says actually comes out of our, our taking on the role of judge. He says, you've taken on the role of judge, which a judge both approves and condemns. You've taken on the role of judge based on these unbiblical uh, distinctions that you make between people, putting them into different groups. Instead of seeing them all as being made in the image of God and seeing all Christians as being part of the family of God, you've put them into different groups and you've become judges And based on evil reasoning and evil ambition, 
you are treating people differently. Now, what would be the benefit of putting the rich man up front and the poor man in the back? Well, if, if offerings have been low for a few weeks, you might think that rich man might help you out a little bit, whereas the poor man has nothing to offer you. So there are all kinds of reasons why we can play favorites and we can show partiality with evil reasonings and evil motives. And the reality is, whenever you break people up into groups like that, then it produces all kinds of problems. You can see the issue of favoritism in the story of Isaac and Joseph. You remember Joseph was the favored son of Isaac. And the result of him uh, giving Joseph the multicolored coat and showing him favor and making it clear that he was the most loved of all his sons was that all the other sons hated him. And so what uh, Isaac did, um, Israel did, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, actually Jacob did, I'm sorry, not Isaac, Israel, uh, did actually cause more problems than not. Now we have to ask the question, is it always wrong to make distinctions? And it's not. We need to make a distinction between Christians and non-Christians. And sometimes what we what we say to people or how we treat people in terms of what we might do, we're not going to go up and necessarily try to evangelize all the Christians we meet. But unbelievers, we should have some concern about whether or not they need to hear the gospel. So knowing the difference between whether a person's in Christ or not is a helpful distinction in all kinds of ways. Um, we don't want elders in the church who aren't Christians. You know, there are all kinds of important ways in which distinctions need to be made. In our day and time, we need to be able to tell the difference between male and female. That's a very important and helpful distinction that people less and less don't want to make anymore in our society. But there are unhelpful distinctions that actually prevent love. And one of the things that um, in the history of our country is the idea of the curse of Ham. I've mentioned that before with regard to black people. The idea that the curse of Ham in the Old Testament was actually a curse on all dark-skinned black people. Um, someone has said Africans and their descendants are, dis- are destined to be servants and should accept their status as slaves in fulfillment of biblical prophecy. There are even those who weren't, and those, those are Christians arguing that. You can find Christians arguing that uh, the black race was the race uh, descended from Ham that was cursed by God, that therefore is inferior and ought to be slaves to other people. Um, but there are non-Christians like Charles Darwin who also argued for the same thing. He, he argued the difference between civilized races and savage races. And he would have put the black race in the category of the more savage, less developed races, uh, the kind of races that need to be ultimately gotten rid of. And so you've got that kind of distinction that is a unbiblical, hateful, evil distinction. Um, but there is, there is talk in our day on the other side of the coin, as, and we should condemn that kind of talk as unbiblical, and it's hateful in all kinds of ways. But we also need to recognize there's, there's other kind of talk on the other side of the coin, um, at least in terms of the issue of, of white being on the white side of the coin. Um, there's a talk about the original sin of whiteness. Um, 
white privilege is one of those terms that is, has been very fluid, and you have to really ask somebody what you mean if you say white privilege. There are some who mean it in the sense of the white majority in our country has advantages that other people don't have. And there may be disadvantages that result from that um, advantage. And so some people use it in that sense. There are others who use it in another sense, in the sense of an original kind of sin, so to speak. One British actor said, Americans need to repent for the original sin of white privilege that is baked into this country. Others go even further and say that we need to repent of whiteness. And these are Christian people. Um, That's why I'm talking about it. Even within the church, you've got wrong distinction made between uh, with regard to black people. You've got wrong distinctions being made with regard to white people. Uh, There's a uh, black Baptist pastor who's pretty well known who says, um, don't know how I can be more explicit than repent of whiteness. He goes on to say, we suffer far more when whiteness goes unrepented. Another um, Christian woman who's also black, a Christian leader of sorts, said, because we have to understand something, whiteness is wicked. It is wicked. It's rooted in violence. It's rooted in theft. It's rooted in plunder. It's rooted in power. It's rooted in privilege. Now, whether you're talking about the curse of Ham or the original sin of whiteness, those distinctions are wrong. Those distinctions are not biblical. And those distinctions divide and hinder true love and hinder the solution of the problem. So I'm not trying to pick on any one person or any one uh, faction in our country. I'm simply saying there are people on both sides of issues that are making unbiblical distinctions that hinder the real progress that is that needs to be made in various ways. Well, the last point that I need to make very briefly here is that what I've just said, partiality fosters selective love. Verses 8 through 13. Let me just focus on verse 8 where he says, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. So again, that's the the heart of biblical justice. That's what God calls us to with regard to all people, regardless of their color, regardless of whether they're rich or poor or whatever. We are to love them as ourselves. But he's highlighting the fact that they were showing partiality. And he says in verses 10 and 11 that selective love is not love. So if you, quote, love the rich man, they could say, but we were loving the rich man, weren't we? Isn't that at least something you need to affirm, that we love the rich man? Yeah, I guess we kind of failed on the poor man, but we were loving the rich man, right? Shouldn't we feel good about that? Well, James says, for whoever, in verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, fails in one point. He has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. That is, a, that is a complicated sentence or a couple sentences there that we could spend a lot of time talking about what he is and isn't saying. But he's making a point in the context that selective love is not what God calls you to. And so if you say, well, 
I'm, um, I'm not going to commit the sin of adultery, but I think it will commit the sin of murder. You're not to be commended on that basis. You are a breaker of the law, and you've dishonored the lawgiver. So even if you can argue, well, you know, didn't we honor the rich man, and didn't we love him and give him a good seat? And so is it really a big deal that we're showing partiality if we're doing all these other things? Couldn't the Ku Klux Klan argue the same thing? Don't we uh, champion um, a lot of good things? Uh, And James would say, you're missing the point. You have to embrace what the law is intended to do. It's intended to move you toward loving everyone, not just selective love. And on the basis of the fact that they're made, created in the image of God, and if they're Christians, they are part of the family of God. Now, you notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say reverse your favoritism. Don't you know the rich mistreat you? You should be making them sit on the floor. He doesn't say that. A reversal of favoritism is not the answer either. The answer is to love all people um, as God calls us to. Um, one illustration that um, I've seen that is debated about whether or not it ever really happened is after the Civil War, uh, Robert E. Lee went to church. And according to the story, uh, they had communion at the end of their service, like we do. And uh, the minister called for people to come forward to the front to partake of a common cup and common bread. And the first man... After the end of the Civil War, who came forward on that Sunday was a black man, and he knelt at the altar, according to the story. No one else moved. The the minister didn't know what to do. The rest of the white, white congregation didn't know what to do. They just froze. And according to the story, Robert E. Lee got up from the back of the church, came down front, and knelt beside the black man, and then everybody else moved forward as well. And they partook of communion together. Whether that story is true or not, it is a picture of what ought to happen, that there should not be any distinctions on the basis of skin color or social economic status or anything else that keeps us from loving each other and worshiping together in the body of Christ. And so um, one of the interesting stories that I don't have time to get into is if you read Numbers 12, it says that Aaron and Miriam um, began challenging Moses after he married a Cushite woman. And most interpreters believe that that Cushite woman was a black woman. And twice in the passage it says that's why they were challenging him. And many people believe that part of the reason God judged Miriam the way he did in making her uh, have leprosy that leprosy uh, turned her white. And some would say, so you really like your, your lighter skin color? I'm going to make you really light with leprosy. Now, he only did that for seven days, and she was healed and went back um, to the people of Israel. But it was a lesson that was meant to be told with regard to how God hates partiality in whatever form It might come. And so all of us, as we close, can just ask the question, who are we selectively loving right now? Who are we selectively not loving right now? 
Are there black people that we're not loving? Are there white people we're not loving? Are there police officers we're not loving? Are there non-police officers we're not loving? You know, whatever category that person might fall into, who are we selectively loving or not loving? And God would say, that is a place of repentance. We may not think of ourselves as being partial people. We may not think of ourselves as being racist. But if we are in any way being partial in our love and selective in our love, that is a place of repentance for us as Christians. And so let me encourage you um, to just prayerfully consider where you are and prayerfully consider where we are as a nation and ask God to open our eyes to see what we need to see. Because ultimately, we need to proclaim a gospel that says all men are welcome at the foot of the cross. All men are welcome. We have a Savior in the the person of Jesus who is an able and willing Savior for all. And therefore, what we say and what we do should reflect that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We pray that you would encourage us through it as we wrestle with what to think and how to respond to all that's going on around us. And we pray that we would respond as Christians, that we would not hold partiality in our own hearts and lives while also holding on to our faith in our glorious Lord Jesus. Help us to see any distinctions we're making that are inappropriate. Help us to repent of any selective loving or non-loving that we're doing and grow us much in the grace and knowledge of you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.